0: All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Victory Over Self Radio, a podcast that dives into all things athletics. On this episode, we sit down with Kyle Jaxic of Ardrey Kell High School in North Carolina. We're going to talk a ton about New Jersey and Lynchburg, hopefully some training. I uh, hope you guys enjoy. So first off, Kyle, thanks for coming on, man. I, I appreciate you uh, taking the time on a on a Saturday morning, no less.
1: Yeah, definitely appreciate it. Uh, happy to be here. Looking forward to it. All
0: right, so uh, Blair and Ross, uh, you know, had some family stuff to attend to, which everybody you know understands now and then. So, just going to be me rocking today. So, I just kind of wanted to kick things off with. Uh, tell me how a guy from Northwest New Jersey, such as yourself, uh, and such as myself, uh, ended up in Lynchburg, Virginia going to, going to school. So I attended Liberty. You attended university at Lynchburg. Uh, talk to me about kind of that process that brought you from, uh, the great white North down to, you know, the, the great South here in, in Lynchburg.
1: So I grew up playing sports. Um, I actually grew up on like an 18 acre ranch where it was like, people are super thrown off that those are actually things in New oh, Jersey. Yeah. Yep. Um, Really thought like my ticket, my ticket towards kind of like the next level was going to be through wrestling um, until I broke my neck in three places, which was kind of like what drove me down. The infatuation with the human body and athletic performance kind of route. Um, I always wanted to go south for school and I love my parents, but I wanted to kind of be able to have a fresh start. Um, I remember driving down like the Blue Ridge Mountains and we were driving into Lynchburg and we were actually playing a tournament at Liberty University. And Uh we played it, played a game over at what's Lynchburg College to me, University of Lynchburg now. And they recruited me from there. I I took a visit on campus and it it, it felt like home and it felt like a place where I felt like I could start my career and um, as well as continue my baseball career there. Uh, So really grateful for it. I think being six and a half, seven hours away from my parents was that kind of like perfect level. Um, And Lynchburg was like, that's what we were talking about before. Lynchburg is like a big city compared to like where we're from, um, but still gave that small town feel.
0: No, it's perfect. So uh, the entire world, of course, is not going to know this, but up in top left New Jersey, where we're from, there's there's farms, right? And there's some, some farm boys. Uh, so tell me, you grew up on an 18 acre ranch. Did your family you know, have livestock on there or did, was it just a big plot of land?
1: So mostly plot of land. Um, we had a massive farm across the street. We actually grew up as dog breeders. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. we heated. So I lived there with my parents and my grandparents, as well as like, there was a rentable property. And then my my grandfather was a foreign car mechanic. So he okay. had two machine shops on the property and we heated all those buildings with firewood, um, through the winter. And if you know anything about New Jersey winters, that can be pretty harsh. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was really just managing the property. We had like a Christmas tree farm, believe it or yeah, not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I grew up as dog breeders. I think at one point we had as many as 15 dogs on our property. Wow. Um, so mm-hmm. just, yeah just like a little plot of land i don't even think our road ended up on a map um didn't have didn't have a postal code didn't have stoplights or anything in in my hometown so it's completely different from what people think of when they fly into newark airport yeah. for the most part
0: no for real that's uh so my wife is uh canadian and she's from very mm-hmm. very rural uh canada uh, above north dakota and so fl- again flying into i think she first threw and in, flew into jfk with me and so yeah oh. she, you know, she got that experience and then it kind of you know got smaller and smaller until we got uh to northwest new jersey sussex county so <laughs> uh you went to blair academy and at liberty i was able to to be the strength conditioning coach for our wrestling team told them i was from new jersey and sussex county and Uh, one of my good old Southern boys was like, coach, you know, Blair Academy. And I was like, yeah, what do you know about Blair? And so I didn't know that Blair had the wrestling program that it did. Obviously growing up, I knew about Kittatinny high school. I knew about high point high school. So, uh, what is it about Sussex County that is producing these phenomenal wrestlers? Right, like even uh, years and years ago, uh, Zach Ray from Hopacon, mm-hmm. I think, uh, made it to Olympic trials or made it to the. So, uh, yeah, just I want to hear from your opinion. What what is it about that that makes it such a wrestling hotbed?
1: I think it's pretty much what we exactly talked about. Like it's it's farm based communities. It's blue collar communities. It's hardworking communities. Cause I think of what we did from a training perspective for wrestling um, at Blair from a GPP component of like swinging axes, swinging hammers, carrying firewood, pushing wheelbarrows, literally just like carrying your partner, like up a hill um, was like common practices in like kind of our training, which we didn't have a high school strength coach and, um, so we were like kind of behind but we were just like that nitty-gritty crowd um, we had a really really good coach he, he actually um, the year I got hurt was his last year at Blair but I mean it was like a next man up kind of thing uh, you, you don't win 30 plus national titles without doing a lot of the right things from a school um, but what I think of and like you look at Kale Sanderson who left Iowa state to become the head coach at Penn state. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason why he wanted to go there was because Pennsylvania, New Jersey and Ohio are such hotbeds when really like 90% of those populations are from those farm based communities where you have a lot of functional strength. And then if you have a good enough coach that can steer them into kind of wrestling, um, winter sports, obviously you're stuck inside. So, Hockey can get a little expensive, and there's not a whole lot of hockey rinks out in the farm. Yeah. And Basketball wasn't really a driving force, so a lot of kids turned to wrestling. Um, I think they do it young. A lot of parents are wrestlers. Um, my dad was not. My, my dad was actually a hockey player and said, oh, no you're never going to wrestle because he, he, um, he would run the hallways with the wrestlers and watch them throwing up in trash cans and yeah. running in plastic bags just to cut weight. Um, but I think just the connection between football and wrestling, um, the connection of kind of that GPP component, that what I know now, which I had no idea about, obviously like when I was wrestling, um, I, I see that kind of bringing success to the sport and really just the communities, um, that we grew up with.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it, uh, it, it's, math. it's fun to reminisce. And so, uh, for, for the listeners and viewers, uh, Kyle and I went to, school in the exact same town so he came into uh, uh my hometown of sparta and went to a, a private school there put uh, reverend brown uh and then went to high school at blair academy so with um with your youth wrestling where where were you doing that what like uh program was that under were you wrestling in sparta um out there in like the the, the area um or did blairstown area have their own kind of youth program
1: um so I started wrestling in fifth grade um I wrestled with the Blairstown like youth program I got really good really fast because I I was bigger and stronger than most of my opponents as well as I wrestled guys I wrestled guys older than me um so by the time that I got to Reverend Brown which was just for seventh and eighth grade uh Pope John had heard of me um and invited me into their room. But I mean I was I wrestled 160 in seventh and eighth grade. Um so I was a pretty good sized kid. As well as my mom worked at Blair um and was relatively close with the wrestling coaches there. And they're just like, yeah, like whenever he wants to come by practice, he can always roll around with us. Um, and I remember like the first practice I wrestled at, I was wrestling in the room at Blair and they they put me with Ed Ruth, who was, I want to say a two-time national champion at Penn State. Um, he, he's kind of taken like the MMA route um, but he was coming back from like rehabbing of injury. So here I am as like this little eighth grader wrestling who was a four time All-American in high school. I think he won four national titles in high school. I mean, he was one of the top five, like pound for pound recruits. Um, but at Blair, like that's kind of like the normal. That's who you're surrounded with. Um, so I wrestled kind of like with a club team. Our club team was called Sparta Pride, um, won a couple of couple, couple county championships with them. But at one point I think we had like three varsity wrestlers. Um, then we ended up like combining with Sparta and I was lucky enough to wrestle, um, with a kid named Kevin Wilkins who ended up playing football at Rutgers and then went on to the Philadelphia Eagles, um, him and I were partners and we were lucky because we, we were the same age and we're almost the same size. Kevin was actually a little bit bigger than me, but there's not a whole lot. There wasn't a whole lot of 160 to hundred pound seventh and eighth graders walking around. Um, so we pushed each other a lot. He came from much more of a football background. Um, so he, um, I liked wrestling him cause he was bigger and stronger. And I think in wrestling, like you, you're dictated by, your partner of how good they are and how strong they are. Um, so I, I just kind of took steps up from there, ended up at Blair and I, I was having a start of a pretty successful career before I got hurt. Dang. Oh
0: man. All right. A blast from the pla- past name, John Wilkins, Mr. Wilkins, Kevin Wilkins, like no way. All right. So now I'm seeing like all the, all the overlap here. Um, so, did you get to talk to Mr. Wilkins uh, at all? A bunch. Um, did he ever kind of train you? Uh, did you see some of his workouts? Anything like that?
1: Yeah, he was my first quote unquote speed coach. No way, dude. This is wild. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I, I remember, I remember driving with my dad to. Uh, I can't even tell you where the facility was in Sparta, yep. but I remember like I feel like walking down steps and like it was a little yes. like almost like pt clinic kind of look in place um health yeah he was like my first yeah yeah he was my he was my first speed coach um yeah so me and the wilkins family go way way back and uh crazy yeah uh, i mean kevin and i were the same age Uh um once once they adopted him and so we we kind of came up through the ranks together and we're kind of in in and out of each other's lives but um I still consider him a good friend because we, we we went through so much together. Yeah,
0: no, if man, when you find a wrestling partner, like it, you go to war with that guy every day, and that that's either you're, you're either going to bond or you're going to hate each other and go the uh, oh, yeah. uh Colby Covington, Jorge Masvidal route. But man, that's wild. So, help in Sparta, health and body was like it. That was the place to go if you wanted to be a good athlete, right? For middle school, high school training. Um, Mr. Wilkins would come and uh, for for one summer, train our, our football team at Sparta High School. And even now when I work with youth athletes, I'm always thinking of like the training that I did way back in the day. And so I'm I'm kind of asking all this very long roundabout question to get to this final one of... All right, so you have all those experiences of – I'm just going to call it being farm boy strong, of all the GPP that you develop as a wrestler. Uh, You got to train under uh, Northwest New Jersey's premier youth guy with uh, Mr. Wilkins. Um, What have you taken, stolen from your background, from your experiences, and how are you applying that now at Archery Kell or – have you gone kind of a completely different route, and why? So, yeah, let, let's uh, let's get into that a little bit. And sorry, I know we didn't, you know, prep that question, but uh, when when we're having a talk like this, I gotta ask. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think sometimes I look back. Of, I mean, I was exposed to Coach Wilkins. I was exposed to Zach Evanish very early no on. Like way. he was like one of my one of my first strength coaches. Wow. Okay. Who kind of gives wow. like that like Old school kind of style yeah. where a weight is a weight, yeah. and like we're gonna do this and we're gonna fling it over here and we're gonna turn here. And um, so, like, now when I look at and especially when I'm assessing an athlete, I'll kind of like look back of like my career. I, I had a stint at Davidson College um, during COVID where we were outside underneath the tent on plywood platforms oh, yeah. and basically all i had was to train division one athletes was two 20 kilogram kettlebells okay. um, yeah. because it was it was cheaper to get kilograms instead of pounds yeah. um, and bands <laughs> so what can we do from a general practicing standpoint, even with divisional athletes who are at the culmination or the peak of their career. Um, so I see that now, especially with high school, and especially at the large capacity high school that I'm at, where I can't get everyone into the weight room at the same time, or we're doing stuff in hallways, we're doing stuff out on sidewalks. Um, so I, I want my I want my kids to be functionally strong. I think that's a driving force for me. Yeah. Um, What I learned at Davidson was GPP is Kim. If I can create and even when we've had a conversation with Bill Gillespie of like his like course that he had guys jumping over and walking across sticks and rocks. And I think that's all stuff that we can really drive and where covid is going to take like the biggest negative hit in like the upcoming high schoolers um like i look at like the current like 6th and 7th graders that i come across now and i mean they're functionally not as good movers because they were locked in locked in their house for multiple months at a time um so i try to like push pull carry yeah, yeah rotate, throw, slam, and I do that across all of our sports because especially like when we look at and I remember talking through with Ross um, at NHS SCA NATCON of that spinal engine theory that Bobby Stroop kind of grow like kind of brought up and kind of spoke on and I mean spoke on for six hours we were in the room with Bobby Stroop um, which which was amazing and really eye opening. Um, especially to me and especially to my intern who was with me, um, who's now a full-time high school strength coach too. Um, but like strength is going to be King, but functional strength is going to get us there. Um, and just driving forces of being more mechanically efficient and just kind of letting that be a driving force of pushing our athletes forward, um, I think is my biggest takeaway. So I still, I still look back, um, and then, like even even my college experience at Lynchburg, where we had seven racks in this asbestos ridden building with with Ed Smith, <laughs> yeah. um, of kind of like simplifying, and I, I thought I knew a lot until I saw a tendo unit at University at Buffalo, and then that kind of sent me down this rabbit hole, and like. I'm I'm a I'm a byproduct of every single coach and every single person that I learned from and I think I think that's the normal in strength and conditioning too.
0: Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's uh So have you found yourself ever thinking like, man, I did more as a kid than you know these kids are doing? And does that ever make you think like I could push them harder or does it give you the like, man, kids are just different now type of feeling?
1: I think to start, I want to say I can push kids more um, because like what we've understood from like a recovery standpoint, um, our kids aren't growing up cutting wood and like heating their house with firewood and cutting down trees and digging holes. Um, so I think that they can be pushed. I think there's a higher level of stress on children now. So knowing when we have to dial back and where, what well, we know, like when it's heavy duty exam week, we know injury rates will go up. So what can I do from a strength and conditioning standpoint to kind of adapt to that? Um, but I think we can always push kids more if they're ready and willing to receive it. Um, like, I always talk about with our with our kids like the power of belief. Um, I I say to our kids like I think we have the best strength and conditioning program in the country. Do we? No, not at all. But do we believe that we do? And will we get more out of it if we do? Then we're going to be more successful, kind of in like the long term route mm-hmm. because we truly believe that what we're doing is the best thing that we can be doing.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. Uh, w- at Blair. Did you got so I don't know if you followed like the New Jersey high school curriculum or anything, but every like year freshman, sophomore, junior, senior in your English class, you had to write a big paper. Um, and I think it was my junior year we had to write a paper on like an influential American, you know, past, present, whatever. Uh, and I chose Lil Wayne, the rapper, because uh, when I was going through high school. This was two thousand seven to two thousand ten. Like Lil Wayne was it, um, and so I, I watched a bunch of his interviews. And he has multiple songs like titled "Best Rapper Alive." He has you know multiple songs where he says he's the best rapper. And an interviewer asked him like, "Wayne, do you really believe that?" And he's like, "Yeah, of course I believe it." Of course, I believe I'm the best rapper of life. Otherwise, why would I be putting out music? I hope every rapper, I hope every artist thinks they're the best. Otherwise, like, why would you put out a a mediocre product? So yeah, that power of belief, like that always, you know, stuck with me. Um, So I I like that. And if you could get everybody in a room, especially, and we'll get into it later with your population size of athletes that you have, like, man, that's big right? That that creates buy-in, that creates culture for sure. So to kind of uh, stay with, you know, the blasts from the past a little bit before we get into kind of the present time and your current training, um, who in your life has inspired you down the coaching route, right? So when I look back, I realize, oh, my dad coached every single youth sport as I was kind of coming up. My mom was a teacher. Right. So like I could kind of see those roots being planted from the time I was in, you know, kindergarten. Um, Do you have a a relative or a coach growing up or was there a coach along your athletic journey that really kind of let you know, like, man, this is something I'd like to do. I'd like to impact people this way as well.
1: Yeah. Like my, my dad coached a good amount of youth sports. He coached me in football and baseball um, growing up really until I got to high school. Um, my grandfather was the one that i kind of grew up with the most um growing up on the same property um with my dad working like my my dad drove 50, 50 miles one way to be a police officer in west orange um so like that wasn't that's not easy um so i couldn't really spend a lot of time with him but meanwhile my my grandfather was on our property and i wouldn't necessarily say like he was kind of like that nitty-gritty athlete like I kind of grew up terrified of my grandfather for a good little while, until really I got to high school and I had a positive relationship with him. I realized how just stupid smart he was. Um, He was a tremendous teacher. Like he he taught me life skills um, that I still use today of how to fix cars or how to install a dishwasher, and it's, it's all stuff that like kids now maybe probably don't get exposed to because they don't necessarily have that person in their life. Um, so I think like I learned how to teach from him. Um, but then I remember getting to Lynchburg and I, and we had Dr. Steve Smith, who was the strength coach there before, um, Ed Smith was there. And both of them just kind of really invested in me, um, saw that. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew like, oh, exercise, science, exercise, performance. Um, I thought I was going to be a physician's assistant for orthopedics. Um, I thought that was going to be my driving force. But I remember having a conversation with Ed. I think we were doing like RDLs one day when we were in college and he kind of like came up to me. He's like, like, are you going to put some weight on the bar? and like, I kind of like took that because like, that's kind of like the coaching that I received was like, I'm going to, I'm going to drive you into the ground and make you quit. And that was, that was kind of like, that's what was my driving force. So when Ed said that, like, I I thought that we had a really good relationship and we really built from there. Um, So what he poured into me um, from helping of, I saw how kids and student athletes connected with him and that, as much as I tried to fight it, because I was just like, oh, there's no job security. The money's not right. Strength and conditioning probably isn't what's best for me because I want to get married young and I want to start a family young. So it's just like, oh no, strength and conditioning. Um but then when I worked under Matt Gildersleeve at Buffalo, um, University of Buffalo, he's now at University of Kansas, I I remember having a conversation with him. He's just like He's like, you're way too good at what you do to just let that not be part of your existence. Um, So then from there, I've just kind of like taken steps up and just let those let those voices that have come before me just keep driving. And now I'm trying to give back to my internship program and the high schoolers that I coach now of just like like you can, you can do whatever you want and happiness needs to be your number one thing. Like I I tell myself all the time, like I I drive 45 miles to work one way across the city of Charlotte, but I would, I would not trade my job for anything in the world. I I truly love it. I, I truly believe it's the best thing for me. And, um, Sometimes, sometimes you you have a little bit of self doubt, but oh, yeah. all those all, all those time. guys I just talked about always always just drove that self doubt out of me, and, and and I think I'm better for it.
0: Awesome. So, the power of a, a, an older, wiser loved one or relative uh, from the early age, and then coaches who weren't easy pushing you to to be better and, uh, you know, inspiring you, giving you that hope, giving you that confidence. Um, in June, I went to a conference in Michigan and uh, it was a hockey conference. I, I'm just the hockey weight room guy. I don't know anything about the sport, um, but it was a sport-based conference. And there was a coach who at this conference asked the audience, who is the best teacher that you ever had? And so, you know, it's a room full of the top hockey coaches in the world. But for me, I, I don't know who anybody is because I don't follow hockey super well. Um, So, like, I don't care. So I yell out uh, my high school history teacher's name, Brian Brennan. And the speaker just zeroes in on me and he goes, was he easy? I go, no. He, he was the hardest teacher I had. Right. And so when you mentioned Coach Smith coming over and saying, like, hey, you're going to put some weight on this bar? it's the best coaches aren't your best friend they're not easy they're people that push you that give you goals that uh, motivate you for more or for better um so yeah i just i just wanted to kind of share that that nugget with you not saying you know you're running a, an easy program or whatever at all um but just you know it's a good reminder that young people respond to um just that difficult authority in a, in a loving manner. Um, and it seems like that's, you know, what has helped you and, you know, gotten to you, uh, to where you're at today. So, uh, tons of things I I really want to get into, but, uh, I would be, uh, foolish not to kind of go over some of the questions that, uh, Ross and Blair also wanted to ask that way, you know, this isn't just the, the Chris shows we're interviewing you, but, uh, so anybody could kind of look you up online and see how you've somewhat traveled up and down the the East coast here, uh, pursuing this dream. So you've landed at Audrey Kell, this, you know, is it the, the biggest or second biggest public school in, in North Carolina? Right. Um, so what does your role look like there now? Okay. High school strength conditioning at this massive school, you could give me whether it's day to day, what a week looks like, but just kind of describe, uh, what that role there looks like for you.
1: Yeah, so I train most of our student athletes. Um, I have about 200 kids during the day between classes. Uh, Probably 80% of them are from general population, so I got to train a lot more of my athletes after school. Um, North Carolina in general is behind the times in having full-time strength conditioning coaches. Like right now, I'm Right now I'm back in school to get my teaching license just to work out a public school. And at this point, like that's, that, that's kind of like tough pill to swallow and it's becoming like a real, a real pain in the ass to do. Um, so, I mean, like, I start the day like we have like an athlete only block um, and I have like two blocks of kind of general population. Our football coach will run kind of a girls only strength and conditioning class as well. That's a steady mix of athletes and um, general. um, And I have that during like my planning period. Um, So but really like planning period is also during lunch block. Um, so I spend a lot of time like talking to athletes and inviting them into the weight room because we're really close to the cafeteria. Like whether it's just sit down and eat lunch, or if they want a foam roll or band stretch, or if I can kind of help the athletic trainer with some rehab stuff during that time. Being able to have our kids be able to utilize our space, I think, is important. Um, and then after school, like I always I say, like my second job starts at 2:30. Um, so I usually have three to four blocks. 45-minute blocks after school, where I'm training a wide variety of teams, depending on the day, depending on the season. Um, I train almost all of our teams, and we're we're a couple steps away from training literally everyone. Um, Like we're, I could have a group of 15 in the weight room. I could have a group of I mean, I'll take as any as like 80 to 85. Um, I got 2,400 square foot weight room, but I'm lucky that I got a whole lot of kettlebells, a whole lot of dumbbells um, that I can kind of, and and then bands that I can kind of take out in the hallway or take out onto the sidewalk. Um, I have really supportive sport coaches um, who are invested and they're a part of the lift and I think they're really good coaches as well. I have interns kind of in and out that help me kind of spread out and spread thin. Um, But really, I just got to make I got to make the most of my opportunities. For the most part, I'm only seeing our athletes twice a week for 45 minutes tops. Um, football and baseball get a little bit more but they they invest into my program um, pretty good amount so they kind of sweeten that pot for themselves um, as well as like I, I'm a baseball guy so I'll always i always kind of like push for baseball but the sport coach is very invested in it um, but also like the the dynamic that we may not see too is and like I didn't really see it growing up was all of my kids live within 10 minutes of school so if they can go home for two hours and do homework or take a nap or whatever. Like they, they can drive back to campus and come, come to lift even if it's four forty-five in the afternoon rather than just the two thirty time. Um, because it, it's going back to that culture piece. Like if it matters to them, they make it work. Because there's really no excuse when you live less than ten minutes from school to get back for a training session with me. Yeah,
0: no, that makes sense. And so, um. You mentioned right now you're going back for a teacher's licensure. Um, So when when Ross came and worked with us at Liberty, uh, he really helped me understand the need for, if you have an undergraduate degree and a CSCS and you're going for a master's degree, get it in education. And I've heard you mention that on another podcast. So um, can you just go into why you think masters in education and then when you do get your teacher's licensure will your day change at all will things look different for you um you mentioned you know you have your athlete only block you have some general pop your second job starts at 230 um what what would it look like if uh, if there's any changes at all
1: yeah so i think driving Driving that undergraduate CSCS population to getting a master's of education degree because when we look at job descriptions, when we look at openings, wherever, it just says master's preferred. It doesn't necessarily have to be a master's of science. I did the unfortunate thing that I thought I was going to go into the collegiate and professional realm. So I got a master's of science. And now, like, on the other end of COVID and all the different parts of my career, I, I have a major regret of just not getting a master's of education because now I just have something stuck in my side doing classwork when I can be data processing or programming or assessing more athletes. Um, but I've some time consuming things. My job isn't going to change when I get my teaching license. So currently like I'm teaching on what they call as like an emergency license. Um, I'm in a program through East Carolina, which is all, a, all online asynchronous, um, which is beneficial, especially asynchronous um, to a strength coach, because I'm going to do stuff when I got the time to do it. Um, so I think just really just driving that, but also, it's kind of spinning it out of its head if we want better strength coaches if we want just better coaches in general not necessarily in strength and conditioning we we need to start looking at how we get educators in the building because i was lucky to go to a private school where you don't need a teaching license to teach at a private school like our dean of science in high school worked at nasa my freshman year biology teacher was one of the founding scientists on oxycodone like, those aren't necessarily normal people that you see at a public school, but we want these kids to learn from all these people from different parts of life, but nothing that I'm going to learn in a K through 12 health and physical education teaching licensure program is going to prepare me to be a strength conditioning coach. It's just not, you can learn stuff after, but we need to look at it from a state and a national level of, okay, I understand going for education for if you're teaching elementary English or middle school history or even like some of those high school subjects. But if we have something as specific as I'm teaching strength training, I'm teaching athletic performance, and I have two degrees in exactly that, what am I getting out of of just having a teaching licensure other than spending money and spending time on it? Especially, like, we had, I think, going into this school, we had over 400 teacher openings in our school district. People aren't going to school to be teachers right now.
0: Wow. Wait, so So. so K through 12, but in all the multiple schools in that district, you had 400, like, open teaching positions? Yeah. Wow. Okay, sorry. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but okay, okay.
1: But that's like exactly it. So it's like, how are we getting people in the buildings that may be really, really good at something, but don't come with a teaching license? Like I saw with one of my one of my interns who's now a full time strength coach up in the Chapel Hill area. Like he was getting denied from jobs because he didn't have a teaching license. I'm like, he has a master's in strength conditioning and you want him to teach strength training. He's ready and willing to work and he will go to school to get his teaching license because he's a hard worker and he's fresh out of school. Luckily, I'm still relatively fresh out of school, too. Um, so having classwork isn't necessarily like super daunting to us. Um, but we, you're looking at a person who has experience out of the wazoo, degrees and everything, certifications and everything, and you're turning them away because they don't have a teaching licensure. What are we doing from a state and national level to kind of progress education forward and get more specific and more hands on educators in the building?
0: Yeah, no, that's that's perfect. And I I could take, you know, my public school education in Sparta as an example. What uh, you know, three teachers that I had that were super impactful for me, uh, Mr. Brennan, he taught Russian and he was an FBI translator. Right, so he came in wanting to teach uh miss Chapini she worked at uh here's a you know a place you'll be familiar with Mountain Creek, right, so she worked in that corporate world for forever and then you know came and taught our uh marketing classes and then uh Mr Brady, he was a chemistry teacher who worked as a chemist in some lab, you know cooking stuff up um there there was a a day where I I was a junior and the senior prank, they like glued all the locks. So like teachers couldn't get in their classrooms and Mr. Brady like created some, uh, glue sol- solvent solution. in his you know, little high school lab and went around and got all the locks off. But yeah, it, it's a great point where if you could have, you know, people come in from the real world to teach and now they're going to get that practical experience, um, for, for the kids uh, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I get that, but yeah especially in strength conditioning like you want somebody who has the educational background not a K through 12 background uh you know for for undergrad at least i i definitely agree uh with that so uh you mentioned uh earlier uh data processing so you have a lot of student athletes What data are you collecting, if any? How are you doing that? What are you doing with it?
1: Um, A lot of the data collecting and data processing that I do um, is really it's got to be able to be test retest. So how are we progressing? What, What are what are our big rocks? when I got to Archer Kell, I was just like, Oh, we're going to be running APRE systems. Like I'm going to do all these strength tests. And then I quickly realized like when I got 60 athletes in a room and I got 10 racks and there's one of me and my sport coaches aren't going to necessarily hold it to the same grade or whatever. And their kids aren't going to hold it to the same grade for each other. So I had to literally be like, okay, this probably isn't going to be valid. Um, so it was going to be crap it was going to be time consuming epre teaching a kid to get to a 1 rep max or a 3 rep max or like all these different strength tests probably wasn't going to be very beneficial and wasn't going to be efficient in the long run for me um so i really need to like bang for your buck unarguable not arguable data Um, So a lot of the data that I track now is I I have a laser timing system that I do like I'll do a five yard build in flying 10 and then a 20 yard build in flying 10 um, that I test pretty consistently. Um, I'll have like my baseball guys run 30s. But really, I'm like I I need to be able to flow if I can't put if I can't put the quick run setting on my laser timers, then it's probably not going to be efficient to me. Um, jump mat readings I think is important I eventually want to get to a point where I have a little bit better of an RSI kind of tester because I think RSI and we, we can head down the speeder out here shortly but um, I think is important to me um, and then I just got uh, just placed an order for I don't know if you know Exerjo Um, which is an isometric reader Um, and we're going to move we're going to move into an isometric mid thigh pull I think I'll be I know Cody Hughes has one down in Alabama Mark Hoover has one down in South Carolina Um, but it's just like a 10 second um, basically build your own platform like you screw it into wood and it's going to be a 10 second isometric mid-thigh pull I'm just going to test really force production because it's a lot easier to do a 10 second isometric mid-thigh pull than get an APRE three squat across the longevity of four weeks. If it takes ten seconds for me to do it and I can do it every single week, that's probably gonna be more beneficial to my program um by the end of it.
0: It's uh it's funny, I I'm using APRE with my college hockey players who I've been with for years and years uh 24 of them plus an assistant plus two interns and a college student worker uh and I have team builder and it's still difficult to run APRE you know I cannot I can't fathom uh in a in a high school where it might be a, a 1 to 85 you know coach to athlete ratio um so I get it right like um the books the presentations they they all sound great but what's actually practical that we could do with it. Um, So real quick, you mentioned a laser timer. Uh, Which one are you using? And does that go to a cloud? Or are you having athletes or a coach uh, hand record times?
1: So I have the new Dasher Blue system, um, which I definitely suggest – uh, I had the old Dasher system at my last stop, and now this is the new Dasher system, um, which I think cleaned up, like, a lot of, like, the, the hard parts that we ran into. Um, but really, like, all of my testing, I need my sport coaches to be able to look at a screen, see a number, and write down that number, whether it's them writing it down or, like, they're, like, conveying that to somebody else, Um for the most part, I'll I'll usually run the Dasher stuff, or like uh, some of my sport coaches can get it, but like I always worry about it becoming disconnected. But the the Dasher Blue system has cleaned that up really really well um, because you can literally click to reconnect, and you don't have to move, and you don't have to turn the turn the laser on and off in order to get there. Um, so really it's, it's the sport coaches carrying out the testing. If it's something like a broad jump, which I'll do with some of our sports, like I want that to be me consistently. I may not be the one writing down the number, but I'm the one reading the number. But like, it's hard to mess up a jump mat. It's relatively hard to mess up a dasher timing system. It, and once I had teach these coaches, this new Exerjo, um technology, like it's going to be hard to mess that up too. Cause it's literally just click and start telling them what to do and click and stop. If you don't think that sport coaches can't do that, you, you're probably selling your sport coaches really, really short, especially if they're invested in the strength and conditioning performance program. I always talk about, I even gave a presentation on it last year at our state clinic for NHS SCA. Um, I talked about like my whole like realm of rehab assessment and everything else, but one of the slides that I talked about was high-performance model installation. But at the high school level like you're the sports scientist you're the strength coach you're you may be the rehab person you may be the psychologist um so for us i always say that my school has a high performance culture we have kids that care enough to be like what does my gps unit say? what was my top speed at practice yesterday What did, what did Sally get on the jump mat? Oh, I'm going to go jump higher than her. Um, So we've created enough competition. We've created enough care about the data um, because we're exposing our kids to technology. And that's, that's what high schools want us to do now is expose kids to technology. Um, And I'm doing that in a strength and conditioning room. Um, But yeah, like leaning on the sport coaches. I'll have my interns run it when I, when I have enough of them, but I also like. I need. I need to coach the strength and conditioning side. I don't necessarily need to coach. I don't need to coach laser timers because it's going to tell me. It's going to tell me what's happening. No,
0: that's perfect. When I
1: when I go back and look at the data.
0: Yeah, we we also use uh, the Dasher system at, at Liberty. So, um, in in my department, it's me, uh, a, a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, second guy, Jared, and then we have two GAs. Um, So Jared runs the Dasher over at our other facility. Um, And even just like, even if you just use a measuring tape and record broad jumps, kids will do anything they can to squeak out an extra inch. They will go, coach, one more, one more, one more, right? If you just time it, if you record it, man, they care so much. I've had kids want to stay for 10 minutes after just trying to jump higher or further but they don't want to lift more weights or, you know, do more reps at bench. They want that thing that you're recording or timing. Um, so really cool with that. Uh, I, uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I just keep taking notes on like things I want to eventually talk about here. So when you see me scribbling, that's, uh, what we're doing here. Uh, absolutely. I want to talk about your internship program. I definitely want to ask about the, uh, ISO mid thigh pole, but, um, before we do that, I, I think it's worthwhile mentioning. All right. So, in high school wrestling you got this neck injury right and then um that kind of brought you into the rehabish world and uh almost took you into the rehab world um as you've shared before so um with that background in rehab uh what has it been like coming into Kell and establishing relationships with your your ATs your sports med staff uh because i have found that it could either be you're butting heads and you hate each other or you're working together. Obviously working together is a little bit better. Um, so have you been able to speak the same language as them? Are you going in humbling yourself and kind of bowing down to them, um, in terms of, you know, make them feel good and like you, uh, just talk to me a little bit about that.
1: I think the first step and for any coach that's really trying to do it, especially at the high school level is, building the process in which you need to run. Okay. So what steps do we take in moving through the direction? Um, So when I got to Ardrew Kell, I kind of already had had a rehab installation done um, at my last spot. So I'm like, okay, like these are the steps that I take. So when I sat down with athletic trainer and really we can call the sports med staff, but we have one and a half full-time athletic trainers. And then we, we send kids out for physical therapy when when they need that when they need to go to physical therapy but she was on her way out i was part of the hiring process for our new one because i wanted to drive rehab so much Um, but really it all started with i wanted to build relationships with who affects our kids the most so if they have a physical therapist or even if they have an outside strength coach or personal trainer I wanted to build that relationship. So I spent like a lot of my free time actually going into the physical therapy clinics that our kids go to, um, which we're very good or we're very lucky. We have two really, really good ones that are actually underneath the same umbrella that are within five minutes of us. So I'm like, okay, what kids are going to these, these physical therapists and then making that connection with them? So then, When I do need to send a kid to physical therapy, all I got to do is shoot a text that parents getting a call less than an hour later from the physical therapy clinic, trying to set up an appointment for their child. And now all of a sudden the child is bought into what we're trying to do, but the parent is bought into what we're trying to do Um, because that's that high performance model. That's that high performance culture. So I had like all of these prep plans, um, which is really just like body weight stuff that's up on my YouTube page that takes care of a lot of like the common injuries, um, that we have from overuse. Like all of my basketball guys do our knee prep plan, um, all of my volleyball girls will do a lot of some, some ankles, some knees, some shoulders, but really like low back um, because like low back is a true pandemic right now, too, because these kids are sitting all day and their psoases and their hip flexors are getting tight. So what can we do to counteract that? And they can do that literally watching TV or like watching a video during homework. It takes them five minutes to do. So dosing that correctly. Um, but we were at a point and we're at a point now where. If a kid gets injured, no matter the severity of it, they're starting with our athletic trainer. They're not going to urgent care on a Saturday where, oh, you, we, you, we think you sprained your foot. So we're going to say no fizzle activity and we're going to put you in a boot for two weeks. If I got a division one kid who needs to play and is a major part of that him going to urgent care isn't going to help us because as soon as he comes back with that doctor's note it's not going to be very positive Um, so having that assessment process from an athletic trainer sometimes we're doing that assessment process together Um, so this is what i'm seeing from whether it's a strength biomechanical perspective, this is what she's seeing from her athletic training background, her different movement assessments. And now we've kind of like blurred that line together. Um, but My athletic trainer is not afraid to walk into my weight room, look at what the training session is for the specific team or shoot me a text and say, what do you have for team lift today? and Where can we make adjustments? And we have enough trust in each other to say, oh, he can do single arm stuff, but like let's lay off of like anterior, anterior pressing. Okay. I I can make that happen pretty easily. Um, cause we're very stimulus chasers. Um, and then we're even at a point now where I take kind of like a triphasic dynamic to our rehab process. And we're seeing that we're seeing that be very, very successful in that athletic training room, as well as in the weight room. So we know that we're going to load eccentrically and isometrically well before we put our kid back on the court or back on the field. Um, So having that process together and being able to work through it together where she comes from a sports performance-based physical therapy athletic training background, um, and then I come from a rehab-based sports performance background and kind of just blurring that line together and working together and just constant communication is where we see the most success.
0: Awesome. Man, that's high level holy that's high level stuff for a high school when i nothing wrong with like my my trainers or anything that i had in high school um although they're one of them really did believe in bigfoot and like told stories to the kids all the time while i was taping ankles but um that's high level and so even for me like at the college level uh, introducing some of that like triphasic in nature r- rehab return to play stuff. It's unreal. Have you read uh, Cal uh banded peaking method uh, book on Coach Tube? And have you used any of that for return to play at all?
1: Yeah. So I think like any like band assisted stuff and really anything from that book is where we see kind of our late stage rehab programs. Because um, really, like I just take them through. I mean, it's it's watered down triphasic. But we'll like when you are most recently injured, you will go through eccentric based training and then you'll go through isometric based training to, to then be able to produce force. Um, but especially when I have a kid coming back from a knee injury, from an ankle injury and overspeed training and band assisted training is already in my program enough. So it's a normal exposure to them. Um, we're just dialing it back or we're watering it down that maybe, OK, we're going to lessen some volume, but we're still going to do this. Or, okay, like, we're going to be this band level. We're going to be this level, this angle here. Um, and, like, that's getting into specificity in the program, too. Um, I'm not afraid to say, it's like, something is sports-specific or something is rehab-specific or prehab-specific in our program. I think that's where, like, the triphasic dynamic that we're able to bring to our rehab process has brought us a whole lot of success it's gotten our kids back faster but it's also lessened the chances of re-injury because we're exposing them to speed and force that they wouldn't necessarily be exposed to except in game because if i never prepare a kid for it then they'll never be ready for it um like, we like we can go down the speed route with that, too. Like, I know, according to our GPS units, that my football guys need to hit 93% of their max velocity that we've ever tracked on them once a week. And as of last night, our football season is over. We made it through a football season with 145 guys with zero hamstring pulls. Like, that's... we're. we're it's tough to say. And uh, like, I'm just this little, I wouldn't say little, but I'm just this high school coach in North Carolina, but it's working. It's working. It's working. And it's worked at multiple places now.
0: Awesome, man. Yeah. That's, uh, hopefully we could dig in in a bit more. Um, I want to kind of switch notes here. So I'm going to, I'm going to slow down for a second. I want to set you up well here. Um, take your time and answer well here. Um, How's your marriage? Right? Like <laughs> uh you're you're talking about a lot of this stuff. What what's what's your marriage like? Um so for me I'm I'm asking that from the perspective of every big name that I steal from and respect in the field seems to have been divorced at least once. And that um that's not an option for me. And so I really put my my wife my marriage above a lot of things however the demand of the job is it's a lot right and everything you're saying there that's a lot of work so how's your marriage talk talk to me about that um give give some inspiration here for for all the other coaches
1: yeah so i i met my wife in lynchburg awesome! Um, actually we we took we took anatomy class together um She's a nurse. I'm a strength coach, which you can only imagine like the budding of heads that we may have because her stresses are super high. My stresses are super high. Um, She's been lucky enough to be able to build a schedule that works for her. Um, And then she understands that I'm going to go through seasons. I'm going to have super busy times. I try to come home and just kind of like when I'm home, like my laptop's not open, my phone is. I'm trying to lay off the phone the best I can. I'm I'm not dead scrolling Twitter or reading books, and I'm actually probably one of the most under-read strength coaches out there um, because because social media has has driven so much for me, and I've just. I, I feel like I've done really well asking the right questions to the right people. And that's where, that's how I've kind of gotten there. Um, But I mean, we, we started dating my sophomore year of college, which was now I'm going to date myself and I'm going to, I'm going to make you feel bad here, Chris. Uh, We started dating in 2016, which was my sophomore year of undergrad. Um, She moved with me to New York for me to go to grad school, um, which we both have our regrets there, and I think we we went through that together because when you don't see the sun for six months to eight months, like that's that's tough. <laughs> you're you're, um, you're
0: telling me Buffalo, New York, isn't an ideal yeah. destination? Yeah, it's not. But it's not there. Niagara Falls not is right vacation, there. Though. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's not the most vacation heavy. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm even at a point now where, like, I love strength and conditioning podcasts, and here I am sitting on one. But if I'm driving home, if my truck is pointed in the direction of home, it is not strength and conditioning. It's not a strength and conditioning podcast. It's not getting on a phone with a coach every once in a while. It'll have to be. um, But getting home and being assistive in that she is dealing with stresses that I can only imagine with pandemic based nursing. She's been like. Most of her career has been pandemic-based nursing, um, which is tough. Um, We're six hours away from our closest family members. So what can we do to create friends, create social life outside of that? Um, But living in a home that we enjoy living in, I think, is important no matter what the dollar amount is. Um, or going out to dinner when money may be tight, but that's what we enjoy doing. Or, I, I, I'm a craft beer lover. Like we, we love going to breweries together. We, we, we love, we love cooking together or, um, but knowing when she's fed up enough, um, and not over killing her with like, what's going on with my job, I think is where, where we've been the most important we've been together six years now we got married back in august after being engaged oof, we were engaged almost three years um we've lived in lived in virginia together we lived in new york and now north carolina together um it, it we we've been through a lot really really young um she grew up middle of nowhere in pennsylvania um she grew up with a lot of siblings which was not what i was exposed to um, so what what can we do to kind of bring that family dynamic in? Um, but taking a break from my job, um, like here we are on a Saturday morning, which she knows I had to do this and she knew it was kind of like a long time coming. But OK, like wh- what are we going to do like the rest of the day? Um, she hates football season because it puts me home late. But I think that's a driving force of me not being a sport coach is that sometimes I do get home at 5 p.m. Um, and making the most of it. And like, I, I don't go to all of our football games, um, because she loves Fridays in the fall. Um, so being home on a Friday night in the fall for her in the beautiful state of North Carolina is important. Mm-hmm. Um, so what can I do to, to make that happen?
0: Awesome. No, it's, uh, it's, it, that's a lot of wisdom, uh, that you shared of, I don't go to every game. Um, those are mistakes I made early marriage. It was, it's, it's Friday, Saturday night. I have to be at this hockey game. Um, now I could watch online, you know, or I could, you know, uh, you know, get the score the next day. Um, are you familiar with, uh, the, the five love languages?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so, um, that's actually a major basis of our culture in strength and conditioning, uh, for anyone listening and even you, Chris, like Luke day from university of South Carolina who's the football strength coach there. He's actually spoke on that back to back, um, summer strongs. Um, so if you watch the first one, especially you'll actually, that's where our standards and our weight room come from.
0: <laughs>
1: Believe it or not. You know, like it, you're like, I'm driving out on the high school kids, but yeah. Yeah. Angela Duckworth. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting stuff. Yeah,
0: perfect. So um it, it took me a while to realize of my wife's love language being time. It's it's not, not time in the room with her, it's quality time uh with her. Um so yeah, just just uh, wanted to know that and um so last kind of you know marriage relational question. Um you guys like to, to go out to eat and stuff. So when you were in the great city of Lynchburg, Virginia Uh, where were were your spots off campus? Uh, Where would you guys go?
1: Um, We loved Waterstone for a good little while and then it kind of like when they started pushing a lot of the new restaurants downtown I felt like Waterstone's quality didn't get as good Um, so we would end up at Bootlegger's pretty consistently Um, yeah we we loved Bootlegger's Um, and then Beer88 which was on lynchburg colleges kind of side of town beer 88 neighbors um i will i still dream of the peanut butter burger at beer 88 um those are kind of like the spots i know i know we got in a i i got a twitter thing with um ross a couple months back with the with the tea room the texas inn um but yeah like that was that was one of the best parts of lynchburg was like all those kind of just like go out to places to eat
0: yeah no I yeah no it's good that's uh my my wife and I have definitely been to a, f- a few of those spots as well uh so when someone first mentioned you know beer 88 so I'm I'm 31 years sober I uh, just decided from a young age so I was like I don't know how I'm gonna be at this place and then I saw like their burger menu and I was like oh all right like this is this is it and exactly yeah I I had been putting peanut butter on burgers for a while so yeah, no, that was, that was perfect. Um, so kind of bringing it back to, to the weight room side of things. Um, it seems like you're a Cal Dietz fan. I'm, I'm a massive Cal Dietz fan. And, uh, if you've heard, listen to the podcast, Mike and Brooker show, uh, Cal was on there and which by the way, uh, Mike and Alex, you guys got to bring the podcast back. It was phenomenal. Um, so Michael Bricker show Cal Dietz. I think the first episode, he talks about the skill of the back squat, the skill of the trap bar, the skill of the bench press, and if you don't practice those skills, supposedly your strength goes down. You could still be as strong, you could still apply as the same amount of force, just not in that skill, right? So it really got me thinking of I need to choose the most kind of like basic movements to be measuring in because I don't want to measure the skill of a a split squat. I don't want to measure the skill of a trap bar deadlift. But what if I did a mid thigh pull to measure force production? So give me your, that's where I'm coming from. Give me your kind of background thoughts and ideas of why you want to kind of transition to this mid-thigh pole. Literally last week I was looking up leg dynamometers, you know, to, to purchase. So we're kind of on the same path there. I want to hear, you know, your, your reasonings.
1: Well, I think like when we look at strength and conditioning and like, really like strength coaches as a whole, all of us always, always say is you do not see a back squat on the field. You do not see a bench press on the field or on the court or in, in your perspective, the ice. Um, so what can I do and what can I test that boils my program down into the most simplistic performance based numbers? So I can lead all of these things in and say that this affects my force production or forbes. Force, um, I I don't want to say absorption, but uh, I'm like trying, like I was actually just reading Dan Cleaver the other day, too. And now I'm now I'm like fumbling on it. Um, But what can I boil down from my program, no matter what I'm doing in it to say that, okay, this kid is performing better or giving the ability to perform better according to what I'm doing. Because then if he's not, he or she is not. What am I doing that may be hindering that? Um, so like for us, like we kind of check the boxes of vertical jump, force production, and linear speed. Two or sorry, three pretty major parts of sports performance because that's really what we are. We're performance-based coaches. Strength and conditioning as a whole is actually a pretty terrible term to what I do. Like being the director of strength and conditioning doesn't boil everything down for me. Um, So having those tests that say, like an isometric mid-thigh pole, if... I do not do isometric mid-thigh poles in, in my program, in my weight training program. The only time that they're going to be exposed to that is when they test it. So yes, for the most part, like they may be able to get better at the skill of doing an isometric mid-thigh pole. But if it's nowhere else in my program because I don't have the proper J hooks to set it up, then it's going to be completely different. Um so I always look at it through the lens of what am I testing in my program that is going to show me that we have performance-based successes. And to me, maximal strength or strength-based movements, for the most part, is just not what I, what I want to test and mm-hmm. what I get the most out of. Yep.
0: That a boy. No, I love that. Uh, I don't know if you could tell. I'm I'm getting hot and hot and bothered here. If I start sweating a bit, you're you're getting me fired up. So, I um, I I literally just wrote down of like, all right, we have a vertical and a horizontal displacement, right? So this is my thoughts. You could just tell me I'm an idiot later, but jump mat, great way to measure the vertical displacement. Um, horizontal broad jump is great. You have a dasher system. I have a 1080 sprint. We could take a, a zero to five. And essentially that's, you know, that's it as well. Like how how much can you project yourself out? How fast? Um, how far can you get in a certain amount of time? Uh force, yeah, the ISO mid thigh pole and then linear speed. Again, you have a dasher. Um, I, I have a, a a 1080, I have a dasher system at a different facility. Yeah, no, I I get it. I, I absolutely get it. And so with your uh, mid-thigh pulls, are you planning on doing like a force to body weight ratio? Um, that way the kid who, you know, goes home for Christmas break and gains 30 pounds and comes back, all of a sudden didn't get that much stronger. They just got that much heavier. Um, or have you not thought of it yet? Cause you don't have, you know, the, the equipment yet.
1: Um. Part of me wants to do force to body weight. And then part of me just wants raw biggest force production number that comes up on the screen. Cause if the kids are going to be like, Oh, 3000, like that's sweet. Like that's, that's a high, that's a high number. Yeah. Um, So I think, I think I'm going to side in the raw number because I don't really, my kids never really get like the exposure of like pound for poundness. Um, so putting that over body weight is just like whatever. I, I like I like raw numbers, especially because I have such a wide variety of athletes. Like I got a 295 pound kid that can do a cartwheel, a backflip, and can jump like 28 inches he's going to be, he's going to be near the top of whatever in force production at the end of the day. Um, but really it's just like, I, I think I have enough internal competition um, that body weight almost doesn't matter um, because like, sometimes like I look at a kid and I'm like, Oh, that kid weighs like 175 and they step on the scale and they're like 150. Um, so like, Body weight, especially with the fluctuation in high school, because they're growing, especially in high school males, isn't always going to be a tell a telltale sign for me.
0: No, that's a that's a very good point. Very very good point. Um, uh, talking with Ross and and Blair a bunch, they really helped me realize like I'm at the I'm dealing with recruited college athletes level, right? Just. All my stuff is just it just is what it is. It's different, right? It just it just is. Um, no, I'm I'm very excited to keep kind of following along with the uh, with the iso mid thigh poles that you might do. And th- this just reminded me of a story of uh, we were talking with Brandon Pig, and he was basically saying the same thing you did of like I need I have to be able to trust my sport coach to run a, a timing system. Like they should be able to. And then a couple of days later, he's like. I had a coach that you know did the entire workout wrong. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah pretty funny. Um, so we we reached out. Uh, we wanted to get you on the podcast. Um, and hey, what what are some of the things you like to talk about? And one thing you brought up was the Altus system, which immediately you know uh, sets off a light bulb for me. Um, I am one million hundred percent stealing everything that Tony Holler has done with. You know sprint-based football and i'm trying to make sprint-based hockey uh complete absolute uh thievery going on there so uh i love speed i love talking about it um you're familiar with the alta system um so just give me some some big takeaways from that uh what are the things that you really like or what are the things that you're applying every day that you're like man everybody should be doing this
1: yeah, so when I boil down kind of like my biggest takeaways and pillars from what I've learned from the Alta system and how it affects us, not only from a speed program, but also just a general performance program. Um, I spend a lot of time understanding or trying to drive the understanding of the rhythm. Um, I think Stu McMillan, Stu McMillan talks a lot about the rhythm of stuff, like how does temporal patterning especially to a high school kid a developing brain um, which you're training developing brains as well and pretty much most of the people that will ever listen to this podcast are 99 percent of the brains that we're training are still developing um so what can i do from a temporal patterning standpoint in order to increase athleticism and increase movement quality Because what we've always and what I always go back and look at is I've never looked at a bad mover and said that kid is very athletic. It just doesn't like those don't go hand in hand. So if I increase movement quality because I increase rhythm and timing and patterning, I'm probably going to increase athleticism. Um, So that's like really like the first first pillar that kind of comes to mind to me, um, shape, I think is important. Um, Whenever I talk about our speed program, I always talk about that we have a conceptual model. I have an ideal model that I want our kids to run like. Is every single kid going to look the exact same? No. Are most of my kids going to run very, very alike because I teach a track-based linear speed program? Probably. Um, especially if I get them early on, which I won't necessarily see the benefits of my speed program for a couple years now. Um, because like I, it's hard to develop juniors and seniors who may only get to the six months of the Alta system. Um, but we have ideal shapes that we want to be in, in order to get there. And then in turn, I would like talking about, um, Stu, um, not Stu, uh, Dan Path talks about Peace. Not relax peace. Um because I think we have a lot of kids who think that being faster and being compact and being better all around is by grinding everything. Um so a lot of what I have to talk about a lot of the time and even in our strength training based program, not even our speed training based program, is quiet and clarity. What is the brain doing in order to happen? Because if we look at videos of 100 meter runners running down the track and we look at just their face, it's almost droopy because they're so at peace, they're so quiet and they're fluid in that. So what can I do from a fluidity standpoint um, with different base movements, maybe in warmups, maybe in the strength training program, the speed training program to kind of bring them at peace where they're gonna be quiet they're gonna be compact um, I always talk about with with all of our speed programs is I don't want to hear you run and when the kids start to understand that cue not only do we get faster because we're more at peace and quiet but we're also running more efficiently if we look at Charlie Francis and speed reserve and everything else, like if I'm just having better, more efficient movers, hopefully one, we're going to be better conditioned because we're not going to tire as, as, as easily. It's going to be easier, easier for us to go 60 to 80% where most of sport is actually played, which is just going to up for performance qualities really in the long run. Um, so, like a, I write a lot about peace and talk about peace with our, with, with our teams. And then um, really like the last one is I love the foot. I teach a lot of the speed training program from the foot. Um, Altus kind of talks about pressure. Um, so I was talking about like, how does the foot act and react in the ground? Um, because to me, tibialis anterior strength and stability is one of the most important qualities that I can train in our athletes. Um, because if my foot is not striking the ground, there we go. Now, now, now my force dissipation is coming back into my head, not force absorption. I'm dissipating force better. Um, and that's where, like, even Goda is interesting to me of how they treat the foot. And how the pressure of how we contact the ground affects performance. Um, so I spend a lot of time teaching foot pressures, which that's through ankle hops, ankle flips, um, any level of pogo jumps, um, even vertical jumping. And then that can translate to how we strike the ground when we run. Um, and that's really boiling, boiling it down to rhythm and shape and peace and um, those are really like my biggest takeaways. Um, I love dribbles. I think they're great. It's not always the cleanest look. Um, but when kids, when kids start to understand the keeping of shape, um, is stuff that I have to talk about a lot because like we may dribble really, really well. And then when we go to upright running, we lose our shape. I'm like, uh, uh ankle dribble to calf dribble to, upright running which we can almost call a knee dribble should be almost the same cycle it's just the intensity of the cycle and how that affects the upper body and then in turn the lower body of the distance of stride length and everything else um so like learning cues from there i think has been important and stuff that i've stolen and stuff that i've just like blurted out because it made sense in my head and then all of a sudden like a kid changed and like made a really good turn and I'm just like, Oh, I'm, I'm keeping that.
0: No, that's perfect. I, um, I, yeah, even though my, you know, my athletes, they're not running on the ice, they're skating and it's, it's very different. I just think when, if, if when I can get them moving more efficiently, better off the ice with a sprint, it, it's only going to make them better movers, more uh efficient force producers and that translates to the ice like for for sure. Um so give me uh two or three practical things for the the coaches at home that you're like you got to be doing this, you got to be doing that. So you mentioned anterior tib strength, um you mentioned uh some pogo jump stuff like that. What are like no matter what these are always going to be in your program or um, you know, Hey, make sure this exercise, this exercise, uh, give me, give me some of those practical things.
1: Um, for us, we're always going to lunge or have different dynamics of that. And I'll, kind of, I'll kind of file a split squat in there too. Um, I like the ISO split squat, the Jefferson split squat, wh- whatever we want to call it. Um, it's really like, it's really dependent on the equipment that you're using um so being able to utilize with that um pogo jumping of rhythm based pogo jumping performance based velocity based pogo jumping um, by doing band assisted pogos single leg double leg high split like there's we see that we see that everywhere in my program i think it's like overlooked but that's also connecting what i'm teaching from a speed dynamic and then what i'm teaching from a strength dynamic um, i think a pogo jump boils that down for us really really well um, glute development especially in younger populations is overlooked and undervolumized. I want our kids i want our kids to have the biggest butts in the world because if you look at the some of the best athletes that we know they all have extremely developed gluteuses so why am i not going to almost over volumize that development um so we do like a lot of glute bridge variations um we do a lot of rotations even with sports that don't rotate um because it affects the hip. Um, So I think that's often overlooked. Um, And I'm a, I'm a band pull apart lover. lover. I will do, I will do band pull aparts until my face turns blue and my kids' face turn blue. Like we're, we're almost at a point that we're over volumizing that, but what we understand from just like a postural standpoint, especially in high school kids now who are technology based front rolled chests i'm gonna have to counteract that um so those are really like my big my big ones and then uh, i'm a max velocity guy i will i will train max velocity the best that i can and as often as i can Not necessarily as often as i can but i'm checking that box as often as i can because I, i was a kid who tore his hamstring three times and that was detrimental to my career um so not letting a kid do that to themselves, I think, is important to me.
0: I love it. And how uh, how the times have changed, right? Where, oh, they have, you know, we got to protect them. Don't let them sprint. That'll save their hamstrings. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, you mentioned glute development. And again, always to bring things full circle. Um, for me growing up, the most athletic looking body I had ever seen was uh, John Wilkins, right? Uh, Mr. Wilkins, I was just like, man, this guy is, he's like carved out of marble. And again, just massive rear end, right? But just like an absolute animal. So um, as far as glute development, are you getting them on a bench bar across the the waist and doing, you know, the Brett Contreras hip thrust? Are you doing glute bridges on the ground, body weight, uh, double leg, single leg, are you relying a lot on your, your squatting or lunging for the glute development?
1: Um, I'll barbell hip thrust some people, some sports. Um, <clears throat> I like protecting the lumbar spine too. Um, so understanding the ebbs and flows of that I think is important. Um, but we're going to squat. We're going to lunge. We're going to lunge a lot. We're going to Cossack squat. We're going to do it in different planes, different vectors. Um, we're going to have probably most of my programs usually are about eight exercises of a full training session. Three to four to five of those will arguably be for glute development. Um, so depending on the flow of my room is is a big part of it. Um, I'm going to try to Copenhagen plank the most that I can. I'm going to try to do it from straight leg, from bent knee, from heel raise to really anything else. Um, different angles, different components of it, um, X band walks, because I, what I know about mini bands in high school is they, they either get legs or they break. Um, so we, we expand everything because it's, it's cheaper in the long run. Um, But we're going to we're going to push those. And then to digress with it, my mobility components need to be glute lateral based the best that I can. I'm going to have to take care of groins. I'm going to have to take care of lumbar spines. I'm going to have to take care of really glute medius and piriformis. So what are we doing from a mobility and stability standpoint? And that's where I think FRC is really, really good for my kids of just hip angles, because it is a socket joint, um, is, is where we see the most benefit and where I have to check those boxes.
0: Awesome. And so, um, tons of glute development, tons of multiplanar, um, I'm just going to say lunges, split squats, um, for, for the sake of it. How are you making sure that you're not underdeveloping the feet then? Uh, Is that a part of every single one of your uh, warm-ups? Are you having specific um, speed sessions where um, high-velocity foot contacts are um, the emphasis uh, are you a big spring ankle guy? Are you counting on all of your reverse lunges and multi-planar lunges to strengthen the foot and the anterior tip? Um, give me a little idea
1: there. Um, some of it comes in a warm up, um, from a pogo jumping standpoint, drop squats, uh, we'll do some toe rockers. I kind of call okay. them, um, which is just really focusing on that big toe mobility. Mm-hmm. Um, Calfsolea raise is where we kind of see the most volume and consistent volume. Um, I've started to get into some of the spray ankle stuff, um, especially with in-season kids. Um, but outside of that, all of my sport coaches have like, quote unquote, checklist, which in order that they're trying to kind of check. Mm-hmm. Um with their warm up, how we design their warm um, what they're doing from a speed component to keep their kids healthy, um, and then really just like connecting that. And then I have um I have Slack blocks as well. Nice. Okay. Um that that I that I like to use. Yeah.
0: Heck yeah. All right. Last uh thing I want you to talk about here. Um you've mentioned it several times. Tell me about your internship. And if you got to go, we could wrap it up too. I know we've been on a while. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, my, Emma, Emma's starting to get a little angry at it. Um, internship for us, uh, is really just driving, driving what they're not learning in school. Um, so how do you coach? How do you program the different styles of programming and periodization I think is important. Um, like I'm going to teach my kids triphasic. I'm going to teach my interns conjugate training tier system because you may have to run it a different way wherever you end up. Um, so really teaching that, teaching them the Alta system, I'll, I'll put them through coaching the sports short sprints course nice. um, because I think, I think it's important to understand our program. Um, I'll send them down to our athletic trainer's office Um, to learn from their angle as well because I think the connection between those two sides is important Um, but really just also just putting them on the spot and making them coach
0: yeah perfect
1: because you don't you don't get that in school
0: no you definitely don't all right let's wrap this thing up uh Kyle that that was unbelievable man thank you so much for coming on just sharing everything um just high level, like super, super high level. I know a lot of people get a lot of good stuff out of this one. So everybody, make sure you follow Kyle on Instagram and Twitter, uh, at Kyle Jaxic. Um, and then, yeah, reach out to him. He's, he's an accessible man, and the dude knows what he's talking about. But thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, this was another episode of Victory Over Self Radio. Uh, we'll have episodes available anywhere that you listen to your podcasts and we also have uh videos up on youtube and they are clipped out as well i know there's going to be tons of uh clips from this one uh victory over self uh athletics on youtube kyle thank you so much again uh enjoy your saturday here brother uh thank you so much for the time uh you crushed it and hey we'll uh we'll have to get some taylor ham and cheeses one day okay Appreciate it. All right,
1: Sounds good to me. All
0: right. Thanks for listening to another episode of Victory Over Self Radio. Episodes are available anywhere you listen to podcasts, and we also have videos and clips of each episode on our Victory Over Self Athletics YouTube channel. Like and subscribe, and let us know if there's any person or topic you'd like us to cover. We'll see you all next time.